Hi there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to the latest episode of the Jedi Council podcast. I'm your host for the day, Mr. Contrary himself, Alistair, and I'm joined, and joined only, by my good friend and buddy in the force, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Only? Only? Well, there's no one else with us, Dave. <laughs> hello dave <laughs> <laughs> hello dave hello alistair we are the jedi council today um series of uh prior engagements mean that unfortunately our colleagues can't be with us today colleagues friends friends more than colleagues i don't know why i say colleagues um okay so dave feels like i spoke to you just yesterday uh, uh, yeah it was well it wasn't far off three days ago two days ago Okay, and have you had a chance to revisit it yet? Yes, yes. Been back to watch The Mandalorian Chapter uh, 11. Um, seen it with my boys. Um, yes, yeah, very good. What Still, was their reaction? Exceedingly positive. Uh, yeah. f- but completely different. I think because we, we discussed it about the last one, Chapter 10, and the fact that as adults, maybe we didn't, appreciate it as much maybe as we've appreciated some of the other episodes whereas uh, my two boys really loved it because they they really enjoyed the humor in it and and the less seriousness of it whereas this episode was was a complete turnaround um in in pace in subject in in how it was pulled together and the boys still loved it that's brilliant. absolutely absolutely loved it but but then they're they're fans of um the clone wars and the fans of rebels so to see what we saw really tied into that so i watched it with my girlfriend aileen and um it was really interesting because obviously she had no idea who any of the new characters were at all none but it still worked incredibly well for her she loved it so I think we have to applaud the team behind this episode because I think they had plenty for uh, fans who really know their Star Wars and the background and those who enjoy the movies and the TV series as well. I'd agree with that. I re- uh, yeah, it, it stands alone. Um, I, I would say it's, po- it's possibly one of the best endorsements of it, the fact that it does stand alone, but... For for the more um, law wise, let's say fans, it's got everything that you would want to tie it into the wider Star Wars universe. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So let's get straight into it. Uh, obviously, hopefully, many of you would have already have heard Dave and I cover off what happened in the episode, and we were full of spoilers last time. So what I think we should do is we'll just cover it in a little bit more detail today. And so let's start off um, by talking about the fact that it was the third episode. It was called The Heiress, um, written by John Favreau, who I think is doing a tremendous job so far and um, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. So now, obviously, we've had a chance to really watch it again, think about it. Lots of positive um, uh, lots of positive comments around Bryce Dallas Howard on Twitter and Star Wars community. Um, have you had a chance to see the fact that, you know how we were talking about when the uh, Razor Crest was coming into the atmosphere and the way it broke up? Have you seen it alongside Apollo 13 yet, which her dad directed, obviously, Ron Howard? 
No, no, I, to be honest, I've never seen Apollo 13. Well, it's a great film, so I suggest you do. Obviously, Mr. Hanks and his finest, but it's the exact same scene for scene. And it was deliberate. Someone put it next to each other and uh, said, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard, don't think I didn't notice the fact that you've done this as a tribute to your father. And she replied, really good that you spotted that. Yes, it is true. Oh, wow. So the, the entire re-entry piece. Yeah. If you, if you go and search it out, you'll find it on Twitter, seeing them side by side. But it's literally the exact same scenes. It's really cool, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, a little tribute to her dad. Obviously, he was the director on Solo. So um, I thought that was really, really cool. But now you've had a chance to, to think about it, Dave. Bryce Dallas Howard, future Star Wars film director. Yes or no? Oh hell yes yes definitely if if this is what she can do on a relatively modest budget that a tv show would have compared to a movie imagine what she could do on a movie yeah i agree i agree and obviously i think she's only directed a few things as well so she's not experienced at all she's obviously had a, a great upbringing around her father and around the movie industry and obviously starring in jurassic world at the moment but um I just think she's done an, an, an incredible job just accessing some of the emotions of the of the actors as well. I think she did a fine job of of conveying that behind helmets a lot of the time. So I thought that was that was really good. No, I agree with that. But, but also handling content and characters that she doesn't have that she didn't own, if that makes sense, that she yeah. has created, but being able to pick them up and and even repurpose them onto live action if they'd only ever been seen in animation previously. And to do that so convincingly, really well done. So let's get into the storyline. So the Razor Crest, as I said, severely damaged, crash lands on the moon of Trask. Um, the passenger being reunited with her husband, the frog lady. That has turned into a big gif on social media. Everyone's saying that will be the end of of this pandemic people will be behaving like that have you seen that doing the rounds it's such a sweet gif <laughs> that's how we all feel we'll be hugging the way that she hugs mr frog oh I, I, i've seen uh, discussions as to whether she's a frog or not and there's been talk around is she a gecko is she a salamander um uh, but for me she's definitely a frog definitely a frog yeah, I mean, it says frog lady, so she must be. It, it does, it does. But, but it's the fact that she ran on all fours as well, and she was hopping, and she she used a tongue as well in 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 episode or a chapter ten to snatch her clothing. So she's definitely a frog for me. Okay, so going back to story and the Mandalorian uh, goes to an inn where he learns that three Mandalorians have been seen, and uh, locates through the barkeeper, I guess you would call him, or head barman the captain of a trawler to get passage to find the Mandalorians. Um, we spoke about it uh, earlier, I know, but I thought it was really impressive, the array of almost amphibious creatures that were on display in this um, in this bar. It wasn't called a cantina, I don't think, which is why I'm not calling it that. Um, it's more like a restaurant, wasn't it? Yeah, because obviously even the way she, the, the child, Baby Yoda, gets food where they just pull pull something down the roof and some porridge comes into a bowl that was kind of cool i, I liked it what did, what did you think no i agree i agree um it was also a case of he eat um the restaurateur or whatever he is um turns around to mandalorian and says you don't sit unless you eat so it, it was definitely <laughs> um it was almost like um um covid 
um, tier three lockdown where you, <laughs> you're not allowed to just go in for a drink. You've got to go in and you have something to eat. <laughs> no wet bars allowed on the moon of Trask. So um, out at sea, we now understand why the Mandalorian was out there. Um, he's chose them a Mamacore they're transporting. Have you come across Mamacores before? No, no, completely different. Um, that was one thing I really like about this season as a whole. I might, we, no matter which episode that you're into so far, you're seeing the wider Star Wars universe. And, it, and it's something that I really think that the movies, especially in recent times, have missed. They've, they've not picked up on the alienness, the unusualness, the, the, the variety that hundreds of millions of worlds would have a, hundreds of millions of different species on. Um, and and to, to, to see now the, the fact that we've seen the crate dragon, we saw the spider, the arachnid things, and now we've seen this. We're seeing larger creatures on screen that really just give that, that impression of different environments, different different places yeah and as you said on the last podcast the crew obviously didn't know what they had in their possession with the child because they wouldn't have just chucked him down to the mammacore so easily and obviously trying to trap the mandalorian so coming to the mandalorian's rescue is obviously as we now know is um bo katana um axe woes and Cosca reeves so Cosca reeves obviously is um played by Mercedes Fernando, who was obviously the wrestler that everyone thought was going to be Sabine Wren. Um, are you happy she's not Sabine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's not that I'm happy that she's not, if that makes sense. Um, I'm happy that she's her own character and, and she'll be known for that character and she's brought her own character to the screen. Yeah. So um, I've got a bit of trivia for you here, Dave. Got a bit of trivia for you. You, you looking forward to this? Go on. Okay. I never do when you do these. Okay. You're going to like this one. So the actor who plays Axe Woes, I'm going to butcher his name, but his name is called Simon Cassiandis. Oh, yes. Right? I've seen him in other things. Okay. Do you want to know who gave his character that name? Mm. It's not John Favreau. Dave Filoni? Nope. Go on. It's a person who was seen on set and visiting it. George Lucas. George Lucas gave that Nate character its name. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from then? I, 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 he was on set and they said, name this character. And he did. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As simple as that. Well, we've seen lots of George Lucas naming characters. I mean, this week, obviously, we've seen the passage of what his sequel trilogy would have been about. Yeah. Um, and we've seen who who kind of how it would have gone and that Ray would have been something different and the, the transition between that. But yeah, isn't that a very cool thing that George Lucas has named a character again? I think that that is awesome. No, I do. I do agree. It, and, and again... Is this why the the Mandalorian feels more Star Wars than Star Wars has been recently? Is it because there is 
I know that um, you've you've got Dave Filoni involved in this, but you've you've got George Lucas having a, more of an active participation in it. Is is that rubbing off? Yeah, I I think so. I think so. Um, and Simon Cass, who who as you said is that he's actually a a fellow. Um, Brit, he's from England. Um, he's put out this amazing post on on Instagram talking about how George Lucas gave him the name, and but he goes into how he had the role, but didn't really know what he was playing until very late in the process. So I'm just gonna read what he said, if you don't mind. Uh, it says, "One year to the date, I auditioned for the role of Axe Woods, a young boy I played with original Star Wars figure passed along to me or loaned to me, more like by my older brother. My favourite was the Mandalorian figure of Boba Fett. I entered the costume department some days after winning the role, unaware of what character I'd be playing. The secrecy and respect for the galaxy warranted and honoured by anyone near it. I have had to personally keep quiet about this for a year now." Eventually on that day, an instantly recognisable career-defining Mandalorian helmet was revealed to me. I was told it wasn't uncommon for men to become items for their entire childhood come to life in their hands, and I was no different. I can say nothing here that would do justice to the magnitude of this moment for me. I was raised without any access to the arts. I knew nobody when I moved to the US. I had a dream. And that dream belonged to a kid with some toys on his family sofa, imagining that Star Wars only existed in a galaxy far, far away. To all the kids, play fighting with their Star Wars figures, dreaming. I promise you, it's worth believing in that dream. You just might get to live it. To all the Star Wars fans, my friends and family being some of the greatest, it's a great pleasure to meet you. I sincerely hope you are kind on this page and elsewhere. You find my intention your liking. It's cool to hear a South London accent on a Mandalorian, right? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I can't wait to interact with you all and sharing my excitement for this world. May the force be with you. This is the way. I thought that was brilliant when I read that. That's wonderful. That really is. I, 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 I remember seeing him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it was, what, season one or season two. And he was a villain in it. He, season two, I think it was. He... He was part of Hydra, which which is like the the, the enemy group in, in Agents of Shield in the early days of it, and um, he played a really good, very very twisted individual. But but he brought a certain presence to the character. So I've, yeah, he's a good actor, and and I'm glad that he's ended up in this. And, and from what you've just read, then he just seems like a genuinely nice bloke as well. Yeah, it's kind of nice, isn't it, to see someone reacting that way to Star Wars. I mean, you know, um, we've seen a, a lot of negativity in recent years around actors who have played roles. I'm obviously thinking about John Boyega and what happened with Finn and also what happened with, with Rose Tico. And, you know, some people have had a bit of a hard time with Star Wars, but it's it's nice to remember that it's still for a lot of people, their biggest ambition to enter that world. And I think it's great that he's got this opportunity. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Um, I, I seen some of the comments and so some of her comments, she's just been so overawed by how embracing the fans have been. 
I think it's brilliant because I mean I I always felt like the voice actors in the Clone Wars were always really, really appreciative of the Star Wars community yes. and universe. Sometimes, to be honest, a little bit more than the actual actors who are involved in it, um, particularly sequel, prequel actors. But it does seem like everyone's having a great time on this show, and it's comments like that that makes me think that they're going really in the right direction with this. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the... the... Not only are they treating it like Dave Filoni and John Favreau, not only are they treating it like they're handling something that, that matters and is important, but the, the cast and the people that are involved in it have got that same sense of, we're really enjoying doing this. This feels good. Yeah, I agree. So let's go back to the storyline here and talk about the Mandalorians that we see in this episode. So they come to the rescue of the Mandalorian, um, killing the entire crew on the ship. And obviously we see Bo-Katan and her fellow Mandalorians break what the Mandalorian thinks is taboo by taking off their helmets. Mm. And the Mandalorian distrusts them immediately, I thought, in the way that he kind of did with... Um, with, the, uh, with uh, I can't even remember his Cobb. name. Cobb. Thank you. Marshall. Thank you, that's what I was looking for, the Marshal. Exactly the same. Yes, yes. Yeah, his immediate reaction is, you're not Mandalorians. Yeah, but she explains her Mandalorian heritage and that the watch consists of zealots. So yeah. is, is, this, okay. is this different from what we saw before in Clone Wars? Well, I suppose you've, you've got a period of time here. Just, 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 just to go back to that, and I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, one thing I loved about the way that Bo-Katan's response to him is, is she almost like top trumped him because he goes you're not you're not true mandalorians and her response is three generations of mandalorian have worn this armor if you don't mind little man and yeah. it was just like it was just like you are firmly in your place there you're you're you are a foundling you may consider yourself a member of the mandalorian creed but you are not mandalorian and i just thought that that was quite a strong opening from her really like that yeah, that's that's a really good point. I suppose it's the first, one of the first times where the Mandalorian's kind of been put in his place like that because I suppose yeah. he wouldn't know how because he he didn't really know the truth. No, no. So he's on the back foot completely. And looking back now, some of the things that we saw in the first season, it's potential that they already knew where this was going in season one because the armorer she'd got a crown of thorns on her helmet yeah and now by the sound of it he's part of the watch which was subverted by Darth Maul yeah have you seen the image doing the rounds of um when the Mandalorian was pulled out of the hole where the droid was looking down into him have you seen the picture of the Mandalorian that saved him no, I've, I, I've not gone back to it, to be honest. It's been doing the rounds on Twitter again. Very interesting. It, 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 looks, like a, it looks quite a lot like Bo-Katana. Bo-Katana, even. Oh, so she rescued him? No one knows that yet. But the, but the Star Wars a, universe is always a, very small. Yeah, I thought it was a male helmet. It had the exact same... So you know the sort of... Um, 
the owl type yeah. shape on it. Yeah, and the drop down. So the sort of visor that drops down so that you can see far away and target. Mm. So it may be nothing. It may be absolutely nothing, but people are looking into it. I might have another look through season one then. Yep, worth worth a little little look at that. I, th- I thought I would have noticed that back then. I honestly thought it was a male Mandalorian that rescued him. It's it's very quick. You have to go. Yeah. Pause it. So it's not something we particularly would have focused on back then, um, because we didn't know that Mandalorian was going to become live action Rebels back then. No, true, true. Yeah. Clone yeah. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, let, let's let's just keep this moving. So, um, the the watch, uh, Bogotan says, consists of zealots who follow the ancient way of Mandalore, which mainstream Mandalorian society does not. Yes, and and to be honest, that was the way it was picked up in the Clone Wars as well. The fact that pre Vizsla um, was, which again, now when you go back to it, one of those. Um, Mandalorians that were part of his coven, his his group on on the planet, was called um, was it Pax Vizsla? Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. So it's possible that there's some relationship there. Um, but anyway, so it's when you go back to pre Vizsla's time before Maul took them over, he was looking to reestablish. And I remember um, the Queen of Mandalore at the time. Um, Sabine? No. Um, Duchess? No. The Duchess, yes. So she she did say back then that Pre Vizsla was looking to try and re-establish the ancient ways of the Mandalorians. And that was the way it was phrased with Pre Vizsla. The fact that he was trying to bring back the glory days of when the Mandalores, the Mandalorians were the warlike um, race. Whereas she was of a more modern age that saw commerce and prosperity for all people. Yeah. And also had a wandering eye for Obi-Wan, of course. She did like Obi-Wan. But then who doesn't? Very true. Depends what version. But um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's very handsome when he's used. Um, yes. So let's, let's talk about a little bit here about how the Mandalorian doesn't seem to have as many questions about this as you and I. He just stubbornly refuses any help and flies off. He does. <laughs> didn't I didn't have a single question. <laughs> I did think that was a little bit strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know I, I can't be too contrary when presenting, but, I, you know, it's a bit odd where someone tells you, actually, do you know what? You're actually part of an orthodox version of this. It's not actually quite like that. No yes. questions. Off I go. <laughs> which, which, yeah, because she also said that she's looking to reestablish um like mandalore itself and his response to that was it's a poisoned world a cursed world no yeah. one wants to go there and again she reiterates what she comes back to him and says you what you have been taught is not the truth yeah odd though right so there's a lot of friction there and a lot of questions was him so let's let's go off on a tangent which i know that we do when we do our little podcasts so Imagine if you were brought up by a religious cult and you're indoctrinated from birth into it yep. and you're taught that your way is the only way. Yep. 
you get to a certain age, you've seen all of your fellow cultists destroyed. But from what you've been told, yours is the only, it is the way. You, you, what you do is the way. That is the only way that things are done. And you've never seen other Mandalorians. You've seen the people's reaction to what a Mandalorian is. Everyone seems to accept the the everybody external to the Mandalorians sees them behave in a certain way and so sees them in a certain way. That reinforces what he perceives to be the way that Mandalorians are. So He's, he's almost been brainwashed into believing that this is the way that Mandalorians are and this is what Mandalorians are. So if someone who looks like a Mandalorian then comes to you and says, no, it's something very different, if he's been indoctrinated that way into, into a, a, a religious cult in this way, it's very hard for him to accept that, which, which almost makes it his immediate reaction is to rebel against that and say, no, you are wrong, I'm going. You know, Dave, I was prepared to argue with you until <laughs> about halfway through that. I, I do agree with you. Um, yes, my, my argument would have been deeply personal as the son of a white African woman who was born in South Africa during apartheid and definitely changed her ways. But <laughs> I, will, I will leave that story for another time. <laughs> so... Um, so looking further on to the story, um, and sorry, Mum, I hope you didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> the Mandalorian is attacked by the brother of the dead trawler's captain, uh, vastly outnumbered. Did you think, uh, what's going to happen here? But then the Mandalorians came to his rescue. Yeah, I, I, I assumed at that point that not that, not that it was done with the, Mandal the rest of the Mandalorians, but that he would find his own way out of that. I mean, we've seen him with his little rocket launcher. We've seen him with his flamethrower. So I thought he'd get himself out of that. I, I didn't expect the Mandalorians to again uh, literally save his bacon. And quite a swift saving as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, they're, they're proper Mandalorians. They're proper Mandalorians, yes. They're, they... Born to a life of warfare. Yeah, I I thought that was really really cool seeing that. And then obviously she explains that um there are imperial remnants that are still plundering Mandalore, and her team is there to raid a cargo ship to steal the weapons back. Um, at this point they obviously have an exchange about the Jedi. And yes. She promises the information he needs in return for her help in her next raid because she seeks out. Something's been stolen from her. Yes, yes. And I do like that. The fact that, again, it, it's... I know that we're talking about the fact that they're introducing wider characters and what have you. And they are, but they're still keeping the story quite tight. So the main themes of all of this, really, is the Mandalorian himself and his journey to maybe understand what Mandalore means and what Mandalorian means, you've got the, the, the child and whatever happens to the child one day, and you've got the Darksaber. And I, I would say that those are the three main pieces to this, to this TV show, and everything else just, just goes around those three. So yeah. it's nice to have something that harkens back 
to the, the, the Darksaber again and ties that firmly back into the story. So, so it stops it from just being a throwaway thing that we saw at the very end of season one. It actually becomes an intrinsic part of the story. Have you listened to any of the interviews that Giancarlo Esposito, who's playing playing Moff Gideon, has has given before this series started at all? No. <laughs> okay, well worth seeking out again. He is incredibly passionate about Star Wars for a start, but he also gives some of the best promos in terms of leaving questions such as, okay, at the moment we've accepted that he's got the dark saber. We we don't know. How it's obviously passed from Sabine Wren to Bogotar to um, Moff Gideon. Well, I've got I've got an idea around that one because he at, at the end of season one um, he knows who the Mandalorian is. He names him, and he he says that the reason he knows it is because he was at the siege of Mandalore or the sack of Mandalore, and so he got those those. Uh, the files on on who probably escaped the purge, but you, you his this um, Moff Gideon appears to not only be a Moff but also linked to Imperial intelligence, which is why he had Death Troopers as well. Mm. So Moff Gideon, I think, is an ISB Imperial uh, secret agent uh, team. Um, as well as being a moth and commanding the actual stormtroopers themselves, I think he was quite a high up ranking individual who was at the siege of, of Mandalore and the, the sacking of Mandalore. Um, and that's where he would have got the saber from. He would have taken it as part of his trophies, a bit <laughs> like um, when we saw in Rebels that um garris was it garris the um oh god i'm trying to think of names now and they're escaping me um so you had um the imperial um the isb agent um callus that's it sorry not oh, yeah. okay yep yeah callus had one of the weapons that he'd taken from the planet uh that um Zeb came from, right? Because he was involved in the sacking of that planet and the slaughter of the people there. He took one of the weapons as a trophy, and that's why he used that in combat. Okay. And it looks like Moff Gideon did exactly the same thing. He took a trophy from the people that he conquered. Yeah. Do you know what? I have two different theories to you. Come. Number one. And both of them involve Moff Gideon being force sensitive. Okay. Number one, was he an Inquisitor? Mm. Just because he was aligned to the, the the ideas of long live the Empire doesn't mean that he was a captain. True. True. The other one, and these are this is a rumour that I've seen going around quite a lot, is that Moff Gideon might have been a Padawan or a Jedi. And he survived the purge by siding with the Empire. But then a lot of the Inquisitors also came out of that as well. Yeah, but he might have not become an an Inquisitor. 
Instead, he just moved up the Imperial ranks. Exactly, but still had that. And so, as a high-ranking commander, would know what the Black Sabre was. Or Dark Sabre, sorry. I'm, I'm going to stick with mine for now. <laughs> okay. Well, it would, it, would, it would be not like us if we were to agree 100% on this, Dave. Even yeah. though, from time to time, you do decide to join the side of truth and reason and honesty. Um, I, I can see you cannot be convinced on this occasion, sadly. I, I, I think so far, I've, I've, I'm predicting what's happened so far in, in this season. I'm quite happy with carrying on with that. Just remember, Dave, so far I've predicted... Uh, the Moff Gideon is force sensitive. The Mandalorian is force sensitive. I'm just basically every time anyone comes up saying that they're force sensitive, yeah, I, I think eventually one like, of them will be right. Eventually one of them will be right. I said that we would see Bo-Katan this week, but I did say that it would continue on from the trailer, so we were both right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah don't try and get me with that, Mr. Dave Clark. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, the Mandalorian saved. Um, he then says to him, uh, comes up with a plan. He agrees to it very easily, and uh, he he then boards the ship, gives the baby Yoda to the Frog Lady. I thought that was a rather touching scene to see one of her spawn hatch. Yes, I, I I loved his instructions when he left it. Yeah, um, be respectful, yeah. <laughs> and he sort of like wags his finger in front of it, and you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Family friendly show, Dave. But you know what I'm going to ask, right? Oh no, go on. You know what I'm going to ask. No, no, I, I I'm suspecting already. But go on. We saw that. We saw one of the eggs hatch, right? He did. How did the frog fertilise it? I don't want to know. No, you know, no. You know, there's, there's certain things in Star Wars that you just don't want to know. You told me today that you've been reading a different point of view and it's got a bit sultry. No, I wouldn't say sultry. I would say that, that, that what, what was in one of the stories for me didn't, didn't feel quite right from Star Wars. But that's for another podcast. But, you know, I'm just asking, you know, it seemed like, you know, that egg was fertilized and born within what? A few hours? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just I'm just asking the question. The people speed of it growing as well. Yeah. Well, by the end of the episode, it has definitely. But that's that's a day. If that. Yeah. I'm just asking the contrary questions that I would be asking if Alex was hosting. I, I think that the frog people have a very, very quick gestation from the moment the eggs are fertilised. I, I agree with you on the evidence provided. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I'd rather not find out how they were fertilised. <laughs> okay, let's get off egg fertilizer. <laughs> um, so, they board the Imperial vessel. I'm not sure what it was are you it's one of the, the client's transports they, they are in rebels are they yes quite a bit actually so you you've got them uh, appear a couple of times so it was the prison ship in the very first double episode of rebels the very first season you had them break out the bookies and it was one of these transports then uh-huh. the 
that was that was holding the prisoners um because normally it has a complement of tie fighters attached to its belly that it launches um and in rebels again you you saw it a few times they they were used a few times but the you know the smuggler person that was a friend of the the crew of the well a safe friend he was also prepared to to betray them but um he was a smuggler bloke who had a broken horn. Dave, your memory is so much better than mine for this. So I'm just going to say yes. Name. But I could say he had one of those transplant transports as his personal ship as well. So I think they're called Golants or something like that. Um, transports. Could it be making its way into the Bidbods collection? There is a Lego one that I do not have. Oh, that came out with the rebels and i have noticed over this weekend i don't have it unfortunately but i have noticed over this weekend that it has gone stupidly up in price um people just selling them on now for profit because they've they've got one in their collection and it's like oh it's worth twice what i paid for it now it it makes me kick myself that i didn't buy it at the time because i did like it when it came out i just I don't know. The, ah, I'll tell you why I didn't buy it. And the reason I didn't buy it was because the transport itself is massive, as, as you imagine. And the Lego version of it came with two small ties because the, that's, that's the way that they're done with like a complement of tie fighters that, that are attached to it. So, to. So you've got the minifigure scale and the TIE fighters that are minifigure scale. But then this, this Galantz transport, if that was done to the same scale, it would be just humongous. So they shrink down the size of the, the freighter, which meant that the ties are also shrunk down. And I think that's what put me off buying it at the time. Small things. Well, we do know that you live in a TARDIS. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> You definitely live in a TARDIS, Dave, because I'm pretty sure you could fill a warehouse with all your Star Wars stuff. So I look forward to a mail call in the next month where it mysteriously <laughs> appears in your possession. <laughs> mm, it's it's spending more than I would want to on something of that size, to be fair. I've got other ships from that same show um, which have gone through a similar metamorphosis of price. So I've, I've got this Rebel Cruiser that was also from the show Rebels, but it had um, an adult Ahsoka in it. And after the Clone Wars season seven um, ended, and you know, the, the way that you had Ahsoka as a more mature character coming out of it, um, the figure, the Ahsoka figure itself, was selling for more than my entire Rebel Cruiser did when I bought it. Um mm-hmm. And if you had a complete box set of the cruiser with Ahsoka in it, it was just going for something like three times what I paid for it. And do you have that? I have it. I have it. I can see it from where I'm sat, actually. Oh, tremendous. It is a nice set. <laughs> that was a good tangent. I enjoyed that one. Mm. <laughs> so back to the, the storyline. Um, the new Mandalorian team make short work of the stormtroopers on board the freighter, take control of the cargo hub. Where um, I love that. I love that. That, yeah. that was so well done. Yeah, I okay. thought it was really good. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. No, no, keep going. Keep talking to me. Tell me why it's good. 
Um, like I just I love the fact that you had the the officer there stood proudly with his pistol and what have you, and then as it appears that the um, Mandalorians are just mowing down stormtroopers, he he he, he basically becomes a coward and goes and hides behind the crates. And he's just screaming at his stormtroopers, close the hatch, close the hatch. And then the stormtroopers, which one, sir? All of them. <laughs> I just thought, that's, that's just fantastic. <laughs> oh, Imperial, Imperial mastery at its best. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously, I, I thought it was quite funny where they were captured and the way that that scene was set up and sort of executed. Or, or more importantly, how the Imperials were executed. Indeed, that's what I was going to say. Yes, <laughs> because obviously the way um, they're in the they're in the cargo room. Which room? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. That <laughs> I did oh, like that. that. I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was very very funny. Um, so at this point, Bo Katar alters the mission. She does. No she longer. Does. Are they interested in just retrieving what he thought they were there for? She wants to take the whole ship. Which, to be fair, was probably the right thing to have done. Because as as the commander of that ship said, if they were to just jump out and just take the weapons with them, they'd be easy to track down. So it sort of makes sense that... The, the how are they... Sorry, sorry. Go sports. back, go back, go back. How are they... How is it easier... To be tracked with just the weapons than in an entire ship full of weapons. Because they they've they've nicked the weapons, they'd only be able to carry a handful of weapons. And how are they going to escape before the the Empire sends a load of TIE fighters hunting them? But you'd think there'd be some tracking devices on the ship. Well well, yeah, that's a good point that. That's what I mean. Like, but you, yeah, but you've you've got a long history of rebels stealing imperial ships and just switched off transponders and what have you. Yeah, there are there are many design flaws of these um, imperial ships, aren't there? Such as alcoves to hide in blaster fights. <laughs> you would. I'm assuming that was to help the stormtroopers. Yeah, well, it never seems to. Uh, <laughs> and and you know um, easily switched off transponders. But anyway, I I digress. Um, so uh, Bo-Katan mocks him by saying, "This is the way." Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I, I was under the impression watching that that she was mocking him, and that's not what Mandalorians say. It's what his yeah. watch say. It's creed. Yes. Yeah. Um, but but she also knows that that is almost like the ending of, a, of an argument. That that tends to be what they say when they've got consensus. Yeah, and so um, we spoke uh, with Scott on our last podcast um, covering this about Titus Welliver as the Imperial captain, mm. and obviously he has an interaction with Moff Gideon, which I think is a bit is worth going into a little bit more. Just because the way he alerts Moff Gideon to saying, you know, what's happening. And basically, Moff very coolly says, you know what to do. Yes, there are no no other options now. Yeah, that is cold. Yes. Yeah. I like Just it. as cold as him shooting his own men in the back. Yeah, I, I, I think he's turning into Moff Gideon quite the... Um, quite the bad guy well again 
for me, this is what makes me think it's ISB, the Imperial Secret Service, because it's almost like, why would you fit your, your soldiers with suicide capsules? Why would you have your, your, your troopers prepared to commit suicide? That's the type of thing that an Imperial, that, that a secret service does to stop people from being captured. Very good point. Very, very good point. Because if I was right, he could just force choke him, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so and, and we know that you can, they can do that over a distance because Vader does. But, exactly. um, but you, yeah, you, you've got almost like this creed, going back onto creeds such as Mandalorians, you've got this creed of the Imperial Service here who were prepared to die in, in the pursuit of their their work well do we think they're all prepared to die dave well that's not normal well i was just i'm talking about the pilots i don't think they look like they were prepared to die i mean they were just shocked (laughs) no no i'd agree with that but if if you let's let's say you were you you were in charge of this this area of the empire i can see it now yeah 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 so could i actually uh with you in charge um obviously yeah you you could you could almost imagine that if he was if he was from ISB then he would put into power into positions of power within his hierarchy fellow ISB agents mm. unless of course he was the controller of them due to his Jedi mind tricks <laughs> yeah whatever yeah exactly I needed whatever me for that but anyway <laughs> good scene Enjoyed it a lot. Yes. Um, take control of the ship, obviously, by force. Um, we spoke about that gruesome scene of him electrocuting himself. I thought that was really, really cool. Very it gruesome. Um, but we spoke about that last podcast. And then she forces the captain to tell her the location of the dark saber before he does it. So Except he doesn't. Exactly. He just says, if you're asking the question, you already know the answer. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I was thinking, hmm, what does that mean? Because she knows who he works for. Yeah, but didn't he say where? Well, I suppose where could even be who it's with. Yeah. But I wonder if he's got like a certain planet. Maybe he's now the governor of Mandalore or something like that. He might well be. If if he was involved in the sacking of Mandalore, he might have taken that as his trophy planet as well as trophy saber. Yeah, that's what that that's what I just I just wondered if if there was like a link into that, but um, that'll be interesting to find awesome. out. And well, then, just I say just before we move on from from the bits that happen on the ship, yeah, cool. there's there's a couple of things that I really liked about the way that the entire attack of that ship went down. The fact that. Um, because it's not something you would almost you would almost expect, but it was quite cleverly done because it, it allowed for the, the the story to progress. The fact that when this ship is taking off from from non imperial areas, they have stormtroopers on deck, um, stood outside, standing guard to to I'm, I'm assuming to keep it safe all the time until it actually leaves the atmosphere. 
And I thought that was that was quite a cool thing that I don't think we've seen elsewhere. We've never seen that used like that before, unless I've missed something in something. Yeah, um, right. And, and I really like that because that that also then gave them the vehicle to allow the Mandalorians easy access to the ship because there was walkways on the surface of the ship for crew. So that was quite 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 cool actually. I quite like that. And I also like the way that as the pilots were, were taking off and, and flying the ship, there's a case of, oh, we seem to be under attack from, from mercenaries, and then all of a sudden this stormtrooper's body just falls onto the windscreen. I love that. It's just yeah. like... <laughs> it's, it is those little moments like that that really works in this show. It's attention to detail, because you saw uh, one of the Mandalorians grab a stormtrooper and take off with him. They didn't have to then do anything with that. They could have just left that. He's he's removed the person. He's dropped him over the side. End of. Instead, they tie it into what's happening inside the cockpit. Uh, I just thought that was so clever. I like it. I know that's definitely worth talking about. And then, are we moving on? Um, the, well, the the other thing was um, how impervious is is Beskar to. Uh, blaster fire. Yeah. Yes, the way he just sort of keeps going and throws the detonators at them. Yeah, he must have been hit what four or five times, which is which is has got to be a record for Imperial stormtroopers. <laughs> and he just shrugs it off and carries on walking forward. Eventually he drops, but that's his armor is completely protecting because he's not been seriously hit hurt by any of those shots. Um, and it just it just makes you realise how weak Stormtrooper armour is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. The Stormtrooper drops from one shot. Yeah. Sometimes, anyway. yeah, sometimes no shots, sometimes just a chop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, Bo-Katan took... And again, we're discussing this with my boys while we're watching this. Um, when Bo-Katan first gains entry to the transport, she goes in with a knife and starts just cutting them to pieces with a knife whilst yeah. they're wearing armour. And I, I'm assuming her knife is made of Beskar. Oh, I didn't assume that at all. But yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Ah, she, good spot. She just rips to pieces, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She does. I thought, with, yeah, because I thought that... Wantlet knife. Yeah. Very, yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't really thought of that. Hmm. Rare you get that out of me, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like I count, this, count this podcast as a victory. You should. You should. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's only me to hear it and you to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, because no one else is going to download it. Of course not. Um, oh, lost. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. So, Brokatan, thanks to Mandalorian. Invites him to join them in future missions, then his yes. bravery will be remembered. That was nice. Yeah, I thought that was nice. And he must continue his own quest because yes. he has he's been quested again. She directs him to the city of Kaladin, Kaladin, on the forest planet of Corvus, where he will find a Jedi called. Ahsoka. Katano. There we go. So we're looking at episode five for Ahsoka, I reckon. Yeah, I think the next episode will be him 
getting there because his ship is not in the best of conditions. I think I've read somewhere that the next episode he's with um oh what's his name? Carl Withers character and Gina Canaris Canaris. Oh right. Okay. So he teams back up with them. Yeah. That's what I I can't remember where I read that. You know, I'm looking at thousands of different things. But um yeah. That was my impression is that the old team are back together next episode. Uh, right, okay. Well, you know, I've, got, I've got a problem with that. They, I, I do like their characters. Yeah. Why can't I remember their names? It's Cara Dune. Thank you. I can't remember Carl Weathers. Krieger. Oh. Krieger. Krieger. Don't know. Anyway, oh. doesn't matter. Um, a little bit of trivia, Dave. That harbour crane, which Scott was talking about, we've discussed yeah. this off air. Modified at at or not? I didn't think it was. I thought it might have been built upon the same technology um, because we have seen different scales of at at. There was the, the at at and also the ATACT that was used in Rogue One, which was a bigger version of an at at. So I know that there's different versions. I just assume that this was a variant using the same propulsion system. The legs, basically. Okay. But I didn't think it was built apart. I didn't think it was a modified attack. Whereas Aileen got very excited when she saw it. She immediately shouted out, that's a brilliant way to use an attack after a war ends. Well, that's true. That is a good point. So um, I like it. And like Scott brought it out. It's Grief Cargo, isn't it? That's what his name that's is. That's it. That's his name. Just, you know, showing that we are great fans of The Mandalorian and know exactly who the main characters are. <laughs> Great job, Dave. Well done, us. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a second one also at the harbour. There was one in the distance. So when you saw the crane picking up the razor crest at the very beginning, there yeah. was another one that was at the, almost on the skyline. Yeah. So I, I hope we see them again because I thought they were really cool. Yeah. And, and I think that's... I think I mentioned it on the other podcast. The one thing I really liked about that entire harbour port scene was that it felt very star wars it it felt so familiar it 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 it, it had very strong overtones of um corellia with um solo which again i don't know if just it's bryce dallas howard and a father i don't know if it's it's that common shared view of, of star wars um but i did like that um just felt right this episode just felt right so many ways in so many different areas things were just ticked right if, if they could have done it any other way it wouldn't have worked quite so well as it did yeah i agree i just so I, we're kind of wrapping up on the episode here but i just want to mention what one of the critics who've read it not not a critic in terms of he's criticizing it but a general critic um from the radio times <laughs> Yeah, you gave it four out of five stars. He said this, and I think it's interesting because I think it's worth discussing, is considering how sparse the storytelling of The Mandalorian was in season one, it's interesting to see how much complex and tied into previous Star Wars lore it's becoming in season two. I would agree with that to some extent. Because... Season one was more about 
building the story of who the Mandalorian was. And it was introducing him, giving him his own space, his, his three and a half, four hours of screen time. So you got to know him, you got to invest in him and and his friends, such as Cara Dune and Grief. It, it, it allowed you to have empathy for him. If I think you'd been throwing in the wider Star Wars universe straight away, you would never have got invested in him as much. Whereas now he's had the room to breathe himself, you can start to introduce wider Star Wars and it doesn't necessarily detract from him. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, apart from the detract bit, because I've been banging on about this for a while now, that if it does become live action Rebels, I think it will be not as good as it could be because I think they should keep a lot of that Star Wars lore out of this because I always felt that they had a fresh start, mm-hmm. an opportunity to really wipe the slate clean after what's happened in Star Wars. And, you know, I think generally speaking, the communities is together as it has been in a long time because of the positivity around the Mandalorian. And I don't, I I would like if it was a self-contained story, The Mandalorian. I don't think it needs Ahsoka. don't think it needs all this. I know a lot of people like it. But to be honest, if it had just been three random Mandalorians, would it have changed it that much? No. No, to be fair, I I think for the, the mechanism of how the story worked, no, it wouldn't. But... You've got two things there. To link into the Darksaber, it was nice to have um, Bo-Katan because that gives you a direct link back to the Darksaber and and makes that what we saw as a throwaway at the very end of season one. It wasn't a throwaway now. It has a major plot hook to the overall story in some way, but we don't know what yet. We don't know how. So I think you needed Bo-Katan to make that link there yeah, I see that. Similarly, to make that link to Ahsoka, the the, the argument back is, well, did we need Ahsoka? Um, I would say the jury's out for me on that at the moment. I'm like you in that I don't necessarily want to see this become something other than The Mandalorian. I, I think what we saw with Bo-Katan in the last episode that we watched was very respectful and didn't take away. It was still the Mandalorian story. She, while she is a big character, and whilst she's a fantastic actress, it was still his story. And she was a a side player in his story. And I'm hoping that Ahsoka is the same, and it doesn't become the Ahsoka story. Yeah, me too. It it will be very, very interesting, because... um... You sometimes, you, you know how in the last episode you referenced um, the cast list of people that were coming up. And Mads Mickelson was obviously, not Mads Mickelson, it's his brother, isn't it? Um, who played Thrawn in yes. that. He was, he's down on that cast list. Yes. And so I've always thought, hmm, is Thrawn going to get into this? And when you start getting into 
the realm of Ahsoka, Thrawn, Bo-Katan, Ezra, potentially. I just think at that point, it stops becoming the Mandalorian story. Well, Lars Mikkelsen, that's his name. Yes. The, the thing is, you, you've got the Mandalorian is quite a local story, if that makes sense. It's, it's one man, his mission, his quest to reunite a child with its people. Whereas the rebel story was more about bringing change to the entire galaxy. If, if that makes sense. It, yeah. it's, it's the difference between, if you go into the Marvel universe, it's the difference between the way that we tend to see Spider-Man in the comics. Ignore the, the MCU. Spider-Man in the comics is your local friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Whereas the likes of the, the Avengers is more global impact and global scale. They're, they're there to avert wars. They're there to avert alien invasions. Spider-Man is to help in a bank robbery, which is doing him no service whatsoever because he is bigger than that. But, but that was the way he's portrayed almost. And the Mandalorian is almost like the Spider-Man as opposed to the Avengers, which was Rebels. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense or not. No, it does make sense. It does, it does make sense. But it's just, yeah, it was, it's just interesting seeing that critic notice that change that I think we're both in broad agreement with. But to your point, they did such a good job in this episode, and I really, really enjoyed it. Mm. So if they can do that with Ahsoka and other characters, then I think it could be really, really good. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, Dave, I think we have finished with that. And so I wondered if you would like to remind our listeners about a competition that we're running. Yes. Right. So we have, thanks to our friends at Delray in the UK, um, two copies of um, From a Certain Point of View 2, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, these are been they've been released for the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. Um, And they tell there are 40 stories that tells side stories for some of the characters or some of the entities that you may come across or even people that that never actually you, you saw on screen, but you could infer from watching the movies themselves. Um, and it tells the side stories. It tells what happens with the normal people that were going around, around whilst Luke, Leia and Han were, were changing the universe. And it's great stories. They really are good stories. I've started reading my copy now. I know you have as well, Ali. Um, but we've got two additional copies um, and we're giving them away for free. Uh, you don't even have to pay postage, which might come to bite me on the backside. Um, but you don't I didn't even know have... you'd committed to that, Dave. Yes, I, I well, well, we've we've had entries from from New York, for instance. It won't be cheap to go to New York, but if if that person wins it, it will be going to New York. Okay, I know. Um, for a fact, we have someone or several listeners in Singapore due to our current stats. If you are that Singapore person, please do me a favor to cost Dave loads of money. You often there. there is also a few people in Australia. Ali. I'm not saying I. I'm not saying that I could fix this for you, our Australian listeners. Wink, wink. But I could. <laughs> anyway, 
Anyway, so we've got two copies that are yours for completely nothing if you enter our competition. All you need to do is email us at mt. I'm trying to think. May the force be with you. So it's mtfbwu. Why? Um, at <laughs> Jedi, I, I completely messed that up. At the Jedi Council. Yeah. Com. So if you just just say to yourself, "May the force be with you," and just grab the first letter of that entire uh, string of of words at the Jedi Council dot com, you email us with the word empire as your subject and just answer us two quick questions that are both related to the empire strikes back the first one is according to 3po what are the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field it is from the scene where uh, the falcon is on the run from the empire and the second one is also of a very similar uh, point in the movie. The Falcon flies into the asteroid field after being told what the odds are by 3PO um, and takes refuge within what they think is a tunnel inside an asteroid. It turns out to be a creature of some type. What is that creature? So those two questions are all that you have to answer. You have to put um, um, Empire in your... Uh, subject and just email us that also tell us which social media you follow us on and you get one free entry for every social media so if you follow us on twitter that's one if you follow us on facebook that's another one if you follow us on instagram that's a third if you follow us on soundcloud if if, if you um, are a subscriber on youtube those are two extra channels that's two extra entries there so you could potentially be following channels you will get five entries five chances to win this um it's fairly fairly simple just email us may the force be with you um remember just the letters um at uh, the jedi council.com um empire what are the odds what's the name of the creature and how many different social media channels you follow us on and a copy could be yours sounds like a deal to me dave it's easy easy anyone could do it and remember, extra credit to those who apply from New Zealand, Australia, Papua New Guinea, places like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. closing okay. date is the 27th of November, which means that you will get this book before Christmas, subject to your local mail facilities. <laughs> I hear they're excellent in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. That's, that's okay, Dave. So come on, final thought really 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 enjoyed chapter 11 of the mandalorian and katie sackoff is a phenomenal actress you do like her i'm not going to go into it because last time you told us how much you liked her but i've been a fan of her for i i can't believe she you're like the guy in the big band theory She's well, she's been in sci-fi stuff for close to twenty years. My kids turn around to her, t- turn around to me after we'd watched um, the Mandalorian. My kids turn around to me and didn't believe that Katie Sackhoff is is not that much younger than me. Their view was, well, "Why do you look so old, Dad?" It's like, "Yeah, thanks, thanks." <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen her in The Big Bang Theory? I've not seen her in that. No. So you don't know that she is, she is, it's quite funny. So in the Big Bang Theory, right, she's fantasized as Howard's dream girl. Right. 
So, for example, I, I, I can appreciate that. So, for example, you know, he might dream of her being in the bath with him, and really? she is. She is. Or do you know which might... episode this is? I do. It's in season four. <laughs> it's in season four. Um, and also, you know, he uh, he dreams of her wearing her Battlestar Galactica outfit and laying on the bed. A Starbucks. Dave, Dave, I have no idea, but I I can tell that you know your your heart's beating a little bit faster here. <laughs> but do, do you know who do you know who uh, ruins his little dream? Go on, George Takai. Really? <laughs> yeah, he comes in full Mister Sulu outfit, <laughs> ruining his little fancy. I just every time you go on about her, I just imagine you being. In the Big Bang Theory is Howard, if you know who that is, Dave. And yeah, just, like, yeah. loving Katie Sackhoff. I can't see anything wrong with this. I hope your children aren't listening to this, by the way. Well, they might do. Ban them from this episode. Otherwise, yeah. I might accidentally find one of your children on Twitter and accidentally give them the video of this to torment you with. Well, you can send it to me and I'll just share it with them. Okay, that'll do as well. No shame, Dave. No shame. <laughs> okay, my, my final thought is is that this is excellent. Um, well done, well done. I moaned a lot last episode. I asked for a bit of escapism. I asked for a bit of Star Wars, and they more than delivered. It was excellent. It was short. It was sweet. Really, really enjoyed it. And so, with that, don't forget to enter our competition. Um, don't forget to follow us on social media if you are looking for us on Twitter it's at the Jedi underscore council on Instagram it is the underscore Jedi underscore council underscore TJC and just search Jedi council on Facebook if you're listening to us already then you should definitely subscribe and consider leaving us a very nice comment and five star rating on your podcatcher of choice and never ever forget that right now if you utter these words Alexa, play Jedi Council podcast. It'll play automatically for you. And so with that, thank you very much, Dave, for joining me tonight. And may the Force be with you. The Force will be with you.